Well, as I start my message today, I want to start with some classic Christmas literature. And I'm not talking about the Gospel of Matthew or Luke just yet. I'm talking about the Christmas classic by Dr. Seuss. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. How many of you like that story? Oh, if you're like me, I love it. I love, it's one of my top favorite Christmas traditions to watch the cartoon or read the book out loud to anyone who will listen to me. Why? Well, I do love Cindy Lou Who, the smallest of the Who's, don't you? When she says, Miss Santa Claus, why? Why? That just tugs at my heart. And I do love seeing the little Who's join hands and sway back and forth singing Bahum Foray, even though I don't know what it means. I don't know that they know what it means, but it moves me. But what I love the most is how even though the Grinch stole all of their Christmas packages and trappings and trimmings, he couldn't stop Christmas from coming to the Who's in Whoville. In fact, as you recall, the Grinch was shocked by what he heard on Christmas morning when Dr. Seuss tells us every Who down in Whoville, the tall, and the small was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages boxes or bags and he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before maybe Christmas he thought doesn't come from a store maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more Oh, yes, it does. But Dr. Seuss leaves that little bit more. What is the little bit more up to the reader's own imagination? I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to move us from Dr. Seuss back to the historian, Dr. Luke, who tells us exactly what Christmas is all about. And some of it might surprise you. If you've been with us this month, then you know how we've already seen Dr. Luke's record and account of the angel's visit to the young Virgin Mary and to the shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock. But today I want to show you how Dr. Luke captures one of the lesser known Christmas characters, an old man named Simeon. But you don't want to overlook Simeon. Because even though he says some things that might sound very unsettling to you at first, Simeon tells us exactly what Christmas is all about. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay, but I would ask that you would listen intently to a part of the Christmas story that you might have never heard before. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, 
waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Mary and Joseph were bringing baby Jesus to be circumcised on the eighth day according to the Old Testament law. Verse 28. Simeon took the child up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things that were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Oh, listen to me. Simeon says some things and does some things that I think every human being, young or old, regardless of your background, every human being needs to wrestle with. And so to get you to wrestle with it today, I'm gonna ask you some questions that I want you to answer for yourself. Here's the first one. Are you longing for something outside of this world. Verse 25 says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That phrase, consolation of Israel, if your Bible's like mine, is capitalized because that was one of the names that the Jews used to refer to the Messiah, the promised one, the one who would come and fulfill all the Old Testament promises where God had said, I'm going to send one who will solve your sin problem. That's your biggest problem. It's not an economic problem or a health problem or a, re- or a horizontal relationship problem. It's a sin problem. And I'm going to send one who will solve it for you. Simeon had been waiting and looking and longing for someone outside of this world and that someone has a name his name is Jesus Jesus. so I want to ask you are you looking longing for something outside of this world but here's the problem with verse 25 in our English translation the word wait the word wait doesn't capture the word of the original language in the Greek. Because when we hear the word waiting, we think of idleness, passivity, disinterest. That's not what this word or this verse is talking about at all. The word meant to look forward to, to eagerly anticipate, and to long for something or someone. And right here is where I think we can learn something from our children. And we see it this time of year, but you see it other times of year. Right here is where I think we as adults could learn something from our children that we start with, but we lose it. We lose it fairly quickly in our grown-up adult world. 
whether it's Christmas Day, family vacation, first day of school, last day of school, new arrival of a baby brother or sister, children look forward to things in such an unguarded and reckless way, don't they? They just throw their little hearts and souls into it without reservation in a way that changes what they're talking about, what they're thinking about, and the decisions that they make for their day. I have five children who are all grown up now, ages 18 to 28. They're no longer doing cute things. They just cost me lots of money. I love them, but cute is over. Cost is in. It's coming. They're all grown up now, but I'm telling you what, if you've had kids or you've got grandkids, you've seen this, right? You don't forget it. I've not forgotten the intensity. I saw it in all five of them. The intensity, childlike intensity, of how they longed for and looked forward to something or someone. When our oldest daughter, Lauren, who's 28 now, was just, oh, maybe two or three years old, her, her hair stood straight up, bleach blonde. When she was two or three years old, I was in seminary, and we lived in a mobile home. God bless us. And when I would leave for school, Vicky said that she would toddle over to the inside of the door with this little plastic shopping cart and stand there and say, just, just standing, I wait for Dada. I wait. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. Dada ain't coming home till 5. But she's eager to wait for me. When our youngest daughter, who's 18 now, was three, and the church didn't have a building, so the church office was in our downstairs bedroom. Hello, Grace Fellowship. This is Brad. Keep the nursery, please. <laughs> I'll never forget, as at three years old, she was sitting outside my office door on a plastic stool that she had pushed over there, fully dressed with a giant bow clipped in her hair and a Winnie the Pooh backpack strapped on. She's wearing it on, loaded with, I don't know what girls put in backpacks, right? Sitting outside my door. How do I know this? Because when I threw open my door to run to the bathroom, I almost crushed her and trampled across my daughter. Why is she sitting there? Because she had a date, a lunch date with daddy that day. It's only 9.30 in the morning, but she's happy to sit there two and a half hours outside my door because she's looking forward to and longing to see me and be with me. What about you? Are you longing for something outside of this world and looking forward to it in a way that changes what you think and what you talk about and your priorities of what you choose to do. Here's what I'm really asking you because it sometimes takes some time in life for this to dawn on you. I'm really asking you, have you realized yet that nothing in this world will ever fully satisfy the longing that you have. That longing, if you say you've got this ache, this long, this yearning for something, that doesn't make you unique, my friend. You may think, oh, maybe it's just me. Everyone else is fully satisfied. It's just me. It's not just you. That longing is universal. Every human being is born with it. What people choose to do next about it differs widely, but the longing is universal because you're created in the image of God. And so you actually have a God-sized longing, which means this, and you may already know this, 
If not, you're going to find it out. If you take that longing and you place the weight of it on anyone else in this world or anything else in this world, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, kids, grandkids, career, pleasure, it will fail you and it will actually crush the object and the person because it cannot bear the weight of your longing. Nothing in this world can bear the weight of your longing because it's a God-sized longing. Because here's the deal. You're actually longing for home and for a relationship with your creator God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what sets us apart from the animal kingdom and plant kingdom of this world. You're created in his image with a God-sized longing for a relationship with him. That's why C.S. Lewis said, if I find within me a desire which nothing in this world fully satisfy, I thought marriage would, but I just wish he was more, I wish she, I thought a different girlfriend, I thought a different job, I thought losing some pounds, I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought. If I find within myself a desire that nothing in this world ever fully satisfies, the most probable conclusion is that I was made for another world. Yes, you are. And so that's why Christmas is really not all about you getting everything you want in this world. Christmas is about you longing for something better that can only be found outside of this world. And Christmas reveals to us that God gave it in his son. But I've got a second question I want you to wrestle with. Have you ever honestly wrestled with what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what he came to do? Now don't hear me saying, have you ever given any thought to Jesus? Sure you have. If you're alive and you have a pulse, You've considered Jesus, because listen to me, friend, he's the most intriguing, provocative, famous person who ever lived. Nobody denies he lived. Question, who was he? Who was he? What did he came to, come to do? I'm not asking you, have you had any thoughts about Jesus? Just flee. Well, I just kind of think, I'd like to believe, I've just always, I'm not asking you what you feel. I'm not asking you what you've heard from other people or read from other writers, I'm asking you, have you yet in your life ever taken time to seriously wrestle with what the Bible says is who Jesus is and why he came? And the reason I'm pressing you like this, maybe you don't realize this, the Bible was written for this very reason. The Bible was written for that purpose. It's a written revelation. It's a, it's an, a recorded history Dr. Luke and the other authors of Scripture never intended to write a legend. They never intended to give us a warm fairy tale. They never intended to just inspire us in some way to be better people. Dr. Luke was recording history. That's why he begins this chapter the way he does. We didn't, I didn't read it. Last week, Pastor Brian read it with his sermon, but I want you to hear it again, how Luke begins this chapter. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. You can check it out. He lived. You can figure out when he was living. It's real. 
You can figure out that there was a census. There was this command to be registered. There were these people moving to cities to do this. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the lineage and house of David. Why does Dr. Luke clutter up the start of his chapter with all these historical references to names and places? I'll tell you why. Dr. Luke wanted you to understand that the birth of Jesus happened at a real place in a real time with real people who really lived just like you and me. It's not a legend. It's recorded history. And so the message of Christmas was never meant to inspire us to just have a reason to get together as families once a year and exchange gifts and drink special drinks and have a warm feeling of Christmas. Oh no, listen to me. The message of Christmas was meant to rock your world one way or the other. That's why Dr. Luke gives us some details that get right up in your face in a most unsettling way. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at, look at Simeon's comment that Luke records in verse 35 again. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That doesn't sound like ho, 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 figgy pudding to me, does it you? Sounds painful. It sounds unsettling. It sounds jarring. Uh-huh. And the word thoughts right there, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed, the word in the original is the word dialogismoi. And it was a word that refers to our, so this is not like fleeting thoughts. Our innermost, deepest, darkest thoughts that we wouldn't want anyone else to see or know because we would be ashamed, embarrassed. We're shocked ourselves sometimes by what we find inside of ourselves. It's that that he's talking about. You say, Brad, how do you know? Because the word is only used five times in Luke, 13 times in the New Testament. And every time it's used, it's used in a pejorative, negative sense, referring to something very ugly and uncomplimentary. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. See, get this. Jesus came to expose us not make us feel better about ourselves. He didn't write a book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. A human being did that. Jesus came to expose us, not make us feel better about ourselves. And you say, Brad, but wait a minute. I thought Prince of Peace. I thought peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Listen, here's what's going on. Until you know how bad you are. And we tend to to determine badness by outward choices. Well, I haven't killed anybody. Well, praise God for that. There's enough of that going on. But are you righteous? Are you good to the core? Uh, no. Do you have the potential within you to do heinous things? I hope you realize, yes, you do. You do. Every one of us is a sinner. He knows that until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't be interested in a savior. 
People who don't have cancer are not interested in the latest treatments. People who do are very interested. What's the latest? Reading, talking. Jesus knows until you see yourself as a sinner and just how bad you are, you won't be interested in a Savior. So just like a surgeon who does want to help you, here's what's going on. Sometimes things have to get more painful before they can ever become more peaceful. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And that word revealed is the Greek word apocalypto. That doesn't sound peaceful either, does it? And it's a word that means to make very public something that had previously been hidden and kept secret. We work so hard to cover up and to project an image that we are decent and we are good and we are better and we are. But the Bible says Jesus came to first of all expose just how bad we are so that we'd see our need for a savior. There's something else very unsettling in this passage besides our own personal. It's what's going on between us that the world also gets wrong. So get this, Jesus Jesus came to divide us, not unite us around some kind of watered-down, innocuous version of who he is. When the world does allow for Jesus, they want him to be some kind of pied piper who led the way of reminding human beings that if we would all just work together and lay aside our differences, oh, what we could achieve. We have such potential to achieve so much and to do such great good. And yet the world refuses to look back in history and say, it was not uneducated, uncouth people that produced the Holocaust. The Germans, again, I'm not knocking Germans if you're here. Achtung. They're no worse than the rest of us. But educated, cultured people listening to classical music did horrific things. Why? Because we're sinners. Jesus did not come to remind us all of how good we actually are if we would just work together. Amazing potential that we have. He never intended to be some kind of inspirational guru who would unite us around our own potential. That's not how Jesus talks in the Bible. And so it's not what Luke records in verse 34. Look again at verse 34 where he says, This child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that will be spoken against. Jesus never said, think about it. Read your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're constantly trying to grab hold of him and throw him off a cliff. They didn't didn't constantly say, love it, let's sing a song. I like how you're talking about all of us. No. It was provocative. It was offensive. Jesus never said, you can have your truth and I have mine. Because we're all moving towards the same God. It's just different paths around the mountain of God. And one day we're going to see that it's all headed towards God. Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism. It doesn't matter as long as you have some vague, innocuous concept of God. It'll work out okay. He never talked that way. That's the world, not Jesus. Jesus said things like, I am the way, the truth, the life. And if that wasn't clear enough, then he goes on and says, 
No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, do you feel it? That's very exclusive. The world doesn't like that. It was offensive then, and it's offensive today. They lived in a very pluralistic, polytheistic culture. I hope you understand. They were not unspiritual. They were not non-religious. They had all kinds of gods. They just said, don't dare ever say your God is the only God and your truth is the only truth. Nothing new under the sun, right? Don't act like, oh, we're living in a day where, oh, it's always been this way. Human beings want their spirituality to be like the cereal aisle in Kroger's. Give me lots of options. Don't say there's just this. Listen, friend, God didn't have to come to save us at all. We should be thrilled that there is a way. Not saying there must be multiple ways. This can't be right that there's just one way. Oh, we ought to be blown away that there's any way to be right with the God of the universe. Could We could have never earned it, never achieved it, never turned our lives around or this world around on our own. God from the outside had to do something for us in his son and he did. That's what Christmas is about. He didn't come to unite us. He came to divide us. And that's why it says, some will rise and believe and follow and find life in him. Others will stumble over it and be offended to the point of even wanting to kill him. There's no middle ground with Jesus Christ, you guys. You either surrender to him as Lord or you're at war with him. Because he is a king who claims authority over this world and your life. He came to expose us and divide us. But praise God, that's not the final word in this passage. Jesus came to save us, not start a new religion. Simeon doesn't hold up baby Jesus and say, my eyes have seen your new religion. Let's add it to the list. No, my eyes have seen your salvation. The revelation to the Gentiles, a word of truth from outside of our own understanding that we needed from God to pierce through our world. Salvation is very different than religion, you guys. In Jesus' day as well as our day, There's plenty of religion. We don't need another religion. Religion keeps men and women in the driver's seat. Religion is all about what we try to do to please God and earn his favor and work our way and earn it. It's a list. It's some boxes you check. It's some traditions. It's some things that you think set you apart from other people. At least I'm not like, that's all religion. You're here in a Christmas Eve service, good. But this could just be something that's part of your religion. It's a tradition that you go to church rather than not during this holiday. You can be religious. You can be spiritual and still go to hell. Religion is spelled D-O. It's all about what I'm trying to do. Salvation is spelled D. O-N-E. Because it's all about what God has done for us in his son. 
And we simply have to acknowledge that we need it. And that I can't offer anything. I can't keep the Ten Commandments. I could never be good enough. I need a Savior. And you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That he is who he says he is. And he said he was God. That he did what the scriptures say he did. That he perfectly kept God's law for us. We could never do it. Even when you talk about the Ten Commandments. I am grateful that most people say. I've never had anyone say. Oh, I've kept the Ten Commandments. They always say to me, I, what's the next operative word? I try. Good. It makes for a better society. Don't hear me saying, let's do away with the Ten Commandments. But my heart is not breaking that the Ten Commandments are not on the walls of all our public schools. My heart is breaking that people don't see the need for Jesus Christ. You can never keep the Ten Commandments. It makes for a better culture. God gave us the Ten Commandments not for you to keep them and earn your way to heaven, but for you to see, oh, my goodness, that's the standard. I fall short. Yeah, you do. You need a Savior. It's just like if together we jumped into my yard and began to build a wall of concrete blocks, and we're just eyeballing that thing. Looks great. If you're off this much up here, how far off are you at the end of the driveway? way off that's how it works with God's standard if he didn't give us a standard we tend to always think I'm not that bad I'm better than I'm better than I'm better the ten commandments show you oh my goodness that's God's standard what am I going to do Jesus he kept God's law perfectly and then gave his life in payment and punishment for your sins so that you wouldn't have to And God's wrath was poured out on the only perfect man who's ever lived on the cross so that you would not have to endure God's wrath. Jesus came to save us, not start another religion. My eyes have seen your salvation. But I've got a final question that might be the most unsettling of all. Are you ready to die? You say, oh my goodness, it's Christmas, Brad. Please, back off some, huh? (laughs) That is a word that makes people uncomfortable, right? Even like this year, you'll hear people say, well, my grandmother passed. She passed, what, a kidney stone? A driver's exam? Well, what'd she pass? No, they don't want to say she's dead. She died. It is so unsettling to us and jarring to us. We use euphemism and other ways to refer to it. We don't even want to say the word death or die. Why? Because it's our greatest enemy. And it's our biggest fear. That's why people read statistics. They don't have wills. If that's you, dum, 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 dum. But work on that in the new year. They don't have a will. They've made no plans for who, how their stuff's going to be handled. So Uncle Sam's going to take 53% of it because you made no plans Why? They don't want to sit down to work on it because it scoots you right up to the table of the fact, I'm going to die, so I'm writing a will. My stuff isn't going with me. Someone else will get it, so I'm going to make some plans of how they get it, when they get it, and who gets it. People don't want to do that. Let's not think about it. Let's not talk about it, and maybe it just won't happen. But news alert, every human being dies. Now, don't hear me saying you can predict the date 
or stop it. But do hear me saying, did you know that you could live ready to die? That's what Simeon was talking about in verses 29 and 30. When Simeon says in verses 29 and 30, Lord, as you've promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon is saying, I am ready to die. Because I have put my trust in Jesus, your promised Messiah and Savior to solve my biggest problem. That could be you. Listen to me. When you have the answer for death, you can really start living. It's not a downer on life. It's the beginning of really living. You start living life backwards. When you know where it ends and how it ends, you can live today very different. Living ready to die causes you to live the best life. Are you ready? You can be ready. You can leave ready by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Do you understand that Christ came to solve your biggest problem by taking on flesh and perfectly keeping God's law and then giving his life in payment for your sins, not his own? That's what Christmas is about. A savior who solves our sin problem. I want you to bow your heads because I want you to think about this some. Think about it some more. A lot of gifts will be exchanged today and tomorrow. Lots of gift exchanging, but listen to me. Right now I'm asking you to think about the greatest gift of all. The free gift of forgiveness and peace with God that could be yours today by simply putting your faith in Jesus Not how hard you're working to be good, but Jesus. And believing that he's the Savior that came to do for you what you could not do for yourself. If you'd like to receive this gift and to ask Jesus to come into your life, you can just simply pray this prayer after me. Dear Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. You see my innermost, deepest, darkest, ugliest thoughts and parts I need a savior, not a booster shot, a savior. I believe that Jesus is the only savior and perfect one. I believe he kept the law perfectly for me with my name on it and died on the cross to pay the price for my sins and not his own. And so right now, oh God, I receive Jesus into my life and I submit to him as my savior Lord and King. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.